Hello, 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 and you're all very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, art, nature, and wellness. And I am your co-host, Shane McKay. And I'm your other co-host, Chris Rusneed. And today we've got a really very special show lined up for you to do with true crime and an internationally recognised guest. But it does come with a bit of a warning because the subject matter is a bit heavy and we have put out a little bit of a warning on another show to do with mental health and the subject of things like that. But this one is a bit heavier. Here in Ireland, it's just been Green Ribbon Month to help raise awareness and reduce the stigma around mental health issues. But we need it, 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 this show is going to be, it's the 1st of October. And just because September is over and it's not Green Ribbon Month anymore, it doesn't mean like we don't no, stop we talking about, about it. it. Like... We, we need to keep talking about it. Mm. So that, you know, that, 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 and, and shine a light on these issues so that people can feel safer to talk and look for support when they need it. But however, if you're triggered by topics relating to mental illness, suicide or human trafficking, then it would probably be better to give this one a miss. It is heavy, but it's real life. And for me, it's a very inspiring story. Today, we've got a super, super interesting and exciting show and very inspiring, actually, because um, we've got a great guest in today, hmm. uh, Ed Opperman, who is a private investigator and a digital forensics expert and a talk radio show host who covers true crime. So anybody who's interested in, in in true crime stories that hasn't already heard of ed you, this is he's you well, probably should have <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah he's um he's worked on a lot of um fairly high profile stuff that a lot of you know a lot of people definitely would have heard of and we'll, we'll probably get into that a little bit um but i'm going to he's he's with us in audio land i'm gonna briefly show his website here before we invite him on and that's opperman report Dot com. That's Ed, um, but probably the best place to check him out is on his Patreon. And he's a guy that's really worth supporting, guys, okay? He does a lot of good work, really, really good work. Yeah. Um, he's a real champion, actually, for um, for the vulnerable, I would say. Um, and we'll get into that with him now. Ed, are you there? Yes, Shane, I am here. Thank you so much for inviting me on your, your podcast here. And, thanks, uh, you Ed. Too, Chris. Thank you. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And um, thanks for coming on. How's things? Oh, things are good. You know, I'm chugging along here, you know. <laughs> we never give up. Uh, we've been having some record uh, uh, numbers on, on the podcast playing the repeats each night. So so thank God for that. Okay. Uh, the, the audience seems to be growing each day. So God bless that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I just was saying there, you know, you, you, you've really done some incredible work and it is great that people are getting to, more people are getting to hear it. And um, I, me personally, now, I, I was really inspired by your work um, just because you really helped to give a voice uh, to people. To that, the voiceless. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Shane. And, you know, and the thing is, you know, it, it really is both of our work. You've been a part of this work for many, many years, uh, helping produce the show. And I can't thank you enough for all the work you've done behind the scenes without any kind of uh, uh, recognition, uh, very little at least. I, usually I pronounce your name wrong when I do give you some kind of recognition. I call you Sean. Uh, <laughs> most, people, most people do. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but thank you so much. And Shane is a huge part of the program. He's helped me so much over the years. And, and we can't thank you enough, Shane. Oh, well, thanks, Ed. And, um, you know, I remember the first, um, the first couple of shows that I, I did the audio enhancements for you on. Um, had a really big impact on me. I've been listening to to you a bit anyway, 
and um, it's fair to say that like some of this stuff is pretty heavy and um, you know kind of it, it, it is an intense kind of subject but when I realised what you were doing and how you were helping people and people, victims and survivors and um, the vulnerable as we said I just, I, could, I couldn't but not help you you know mm. um, it, and, and it, it was really good for me too actually it really um, it was a really very very positive influence on my life big time um, so we're delighted now now it's kind of it's actually four years or so Ed isn't it like uh, that it's be coming up to the anniversary now next November when we got on that the first radio station um, what was it KYAH in Utah I think yeah KYAH in Utah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so uh, like what what what's what's the reach like these days? So well, like 100, on AMF, one hundred and fifty stations, hundred no, one hundred and fifty cities. Oh, uh, wow. we're, we're doing pretty good. Yeah, we got a nice little coverage there in uh, in Utah, which is on the uh, west coast of the United States. Uh, um, and then we have uh, Nevada, a nice coverage in Nevada, and then we have California, uh, and then we have um, uh, Florida, and which is our new um, stronghold. We're trying to really make a, a difference here in Florida. Right. We're on the west coast of Florida in the Tampa Bay area on WWPR 1490 at 10 p.m. And then on the east coast, we cover all the way from uh, um, Miami all the way up to West Palm Beach where uh, Mar-a-Lago and Mr. Trump sits there on his throne uh, listening to our show at, uh, each night at 8 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Taking notes, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Taking names and kicking ass. Is that you already yeah. say? <laughs> yeah. oh, we could just be chewing bubble gum, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, that's great. I'm really it's great to see the show going so well now. And and how how are things actually over there in the US now since the change in office? Is the are 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 people kind of less polarized now, or is it kind of Bit too same old, say, same maybe. old? That's a good question, man. You know, uh, the whole Trump thing was so polarizing. I don't think it's let up that much. I think the people that are dug in on the whole. Trump uh, fascism, you know, are, are really entrenched in that, and they're they're digging their heels in. Uh, they they no longer believe in any kind of news that doesn't support their beliefs in Trump and Trumpism, and they're just dug in. You well, know? that is essentially uh, the definition of fascism: is that people are not open to other ideas; they just think, "No, my way is the only way." That seems to be what's going on. Yeah, and then you have Biden, which you know is really no prize for anything that I, I want to see happen in this country. You know, he's just a, a watered down there's, version of the Republican there's, there's, Party. There's yeah. an old Marx Brothers quote about anyone who wants to be in politics probably shouldn't be in politics. <laughs> yeah, that that is kind of true, you know. But I, but I got to tell you though, um, I, I am encouraged. Uh, back in Nevada, um, we I guess we went on the radio in Nevada about three years ago, uh, Shane. Mm. And uh, all the people I started out having on the show early on in Nevada, the local activists, are the people right now that run the Democratic Party in Nevada. Um, we Card-carrying socialists right now run the Democratic Party in Nevada. Friends of mine, friends of the show, people who I hung out with. Uh, so we, and, and we got, in 2016, uh, Hillary Clinton totally ripped us off. She stole our votes at the caucus and the primary there in Nevada. And all of our people were so frustrated. All we could do was go down to the Democratic headquarters and protest an empty building. It was like a Saturday afternoon. And just yell at an empty building. Like, like, <laughs> like a bunch of, and, and we took our chalk and we wrote nasty words on the sidewalk in the chalk. And here we are now uh, 
in 2022, and we have the keys to that building. We control that building. Uh, so much so that when the hacks, the Democratic Party hacks, left that building, uh, they deleted everything on their computers. They didn't want us to have the information. Did they leave chalk marks? The once a year rain in the Vatican and washed it away. Yeah. <laughs> ah, you should you should preserve it as um, you know culturally you know significant. <laughs> I'm sure there are some pictures of it. I'm, I'm sure there are. Yeah. Yeah, and Ed, like I, I know, I, I know that's something I've heard you speak about a lot. Actually, is about how, like, before maybe in 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 your youth and stuff, and in the yippies and stuff, you you were an anarchist for a while, but you're you're not, you're you're far from that now. I would say, and you you've 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 now come to a realization and a point where you know it is important to be in, interested and and have a say, and be part of the conversation as far as politics or or social issues. Yeah, even as an anarchist, you know, uh, we weren't quiet. We didn't sit behind, the, you know, and uh, totally ignore politics. We we protested both the Democrats and the Republicans, and um, uh, forcefully, you know, t- taking over the streets, shutting streets down, shutting down Wall Street. Uh, so, but you know, I, I, as a young kid, you know, I, I learned about the military-industrial complex, about fascism, about the, uh, the the evils of capitalism. And the first thing I was taught was, well, the thing to do is become an anarchist. So I said, well, okay, <laughs> let's eat the rich. Let's, let's take over the streets, you know? And, uh, but, but as time goes on, you know, I think I've uh, mellowed a bit. And now I'm a socialist and I believe in the uh, worker control of the, the means of production. And uh, that's where I am now. Yeah, and I'd agree with you there as well. That exploitation is really not like sustainable. I don't think. No, no. I, w- I would say so. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless we all, unless we're all going to go down the cannibal route, like. The only alternative is they, they put us in, in slave labor camps. Is the only uh, the next yeah. uh, stage of uh, end capitalism. Yeah. Uh, so let's see what happens. Yeah. Exactly. It's and actually feasible at this stage that that might happen. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say, but you're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's on the radar for sure. And Ed, like, um, like for, 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 for people who may not have come across your work before, you've worked on some pretty high-profile cases, haven't you? Yeah, uh, both uh, in the public and not in the public. Um, I've done a lot of stuff, you know, that I can't talk about, uh, that, that I'm really proud of, a lot of high-profile stuff. Uh, but then also, too, you know, you get these deals, like with the Tiger Woods case, I did all the cell phone forensics, in the Tiger Woods case, in order to identify women that actually were uh, Tiger Woods mistresses or were not. And I got into that because of uh, my agent, Gina Rodriguez, was the agent for the mistresses. And that was a project that took on uh, for publicity, you know, to get my name out there in the press and to, to drum up business. Nice. Um, uh, Ashton Kutcher, we did an Ashton Kutcher infidelity case. That was another one that was for the media in order to, to get publicity. Um, I was involved in um, a, an investigation into Sarah Palin and Todd Palin, uh, where my client uh, was um, a, a massage therapist over there uh, in um, Alaska, uh, who was having an affair with Todd Palin and uh, actually being sent other customers and, and people to uh, be intimate with on behalf of Todd Palin and to document the activity and, and provide that information to the Palins for them to do what the, the, they would do with it. I doubt they were actual massage therapists, though. <laughs> well, you know, she was a Craigslist a massage therapist, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no you, know, you don't you don't want to tire us all with the same brush. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Chris oh, is a oh. Chris is a real mas- massage therapist actually. Yeah. Well, 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 she wasn't any kind of therapist. That's no, I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> she was giving massages. Okay. Uh, okay. Up in Anchorage, Alaska. 
And that culminated in a, in a congressional investigation into Secret Service misbehavior. And uh, also, too, in, in Sarah Palin declining to, to run for president in 2012, uh, which she uh, attributed to um, people accusing her husband of having uh, infidelity. And she declared that on the same day that all the evidence uh, from that case uh, arrived from the, the Alaska Police Department into my uh, mailbox in, in Nevada. Yeah. So, I mean, aside from the, the, the that, that kind of higher profile stuff, I know that, or at least from, from what I know, that a big focus of your work does seem to be a, good works is what you tend to focus on, um, whether that's um, in your professional life or um, actually just dealing with people. You seem to be kind of um, very interested in helping people. Yeah, I got to say, yeah, you're right. Um, growing up, and I grew up in the Bronx, uh, New York, which was a poor area. Mm. Um, we were on the wrong side of justice and, and uh, equality. Uh, we we're getting a short end of the stick. Mm. Uh, growing up over the years, I've, I've managed to acquire some skills and experience and context. And uh, if you have this, there's no reason why you can't use that for good, uh, as well as profiting yourself and, and trying to make a living for yourself. You can do both. Um, and I think that, uh, especially now that I have this microphone and this reach out there to the audience, that uh, uh, it's only right to, to use that for good and for, to help people that are in trouble, people that are victims of police violence or injustice, like you said, mm-hmm. uh, and shine some light on that. You know? and, and we've done some good work. That whole case up there with the, um, uh, what's his name, Gordon, I forget his name, uh, the guy there in Scotland with the whole case there with the, the Celtic uh, Boys Club there, the soccer team. Oh, yeah, uh, oh, saw yeah, that in yeah. the news recently, wasn't it? Yes, man. We yeah. the, you know, the, the case was dormant for forty five years. We yeah. had this guy on our show, hmm. and and they arrest the guy. They arrest the head of the, the school there. So you know, we we see the results. Why not keep doing it? Why not? Absolutely, Ed. Yeah. And and yeah. you know what? Like you know, like for, for me, like I'm here on the on, on the other side of the world, and for me to be able to help you who's who's you know we're all people and we all live on the same planet like so it's no difference to me well are you in india or are you in the states or where are you it doesn't if i can help i'm gonna help and but the fact that that was kind of it was like it was like i'm helping this guy over here in the states but yeah he's doing work that's helping my neighbors so i thought that was just actually um i was thrilled to hear that actually to be honest um yeah, and, and there's the, there's, we're no shortage. We need help. There's no shortage. You know, we can all help. Uh, we can all work together. You know, and uh, yeah. it just that's, that's that's kind of our tagline: is help us help help each other, help us all. Like you know, yeah, and and exactly, and and here we have you know mm-hmm. the birth of of your podcast, this uh, uh, caring network, you know, of uh, wellness and all this kind of stuff. That that's great stuff, man. We can, it, it, you know, we we see the fruit. We see the fruit. Yeah, uh, of our labour and, and our and our efforts here. Yeah, absolutely, and it's really encouraging. And you know, something I wanted to ask you a little bit about as well. Actually, is um, you do you need that encouragement and and results because it's it's it the 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 material is is quite heavy and stressful. So I, I'd love to ask you, you know, like how do you actually kind of manage to stay motivated all the time? I know you, I know we, none of us can stay motivated all the time, but it, like. I know you're, we get into other, other areas and stuff, and I know your faith is a big part of it and stuff, but as far as actually just kind of being able to cope, like, yeah, because I know that, I know it has been tough on you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's, it's much harder than other times. Um, I remember back when I had on, um, the gentleman, uh, uh, Cliven Doyle, who was the, 
um, was burned, uh, third degree burns. He lost his daughter in the Waco fire. And I had him on my show for two hours telling that story. And at the same time, I was dealing with that story, you know, which is traumatic. I mean, my own daughter was about 17 years old at the time, 16 years old. And at the same time, I was dealing with the situation uh, with this uh, young woman who was uh, being held kidnapped, being held prisoner by her boyfriend at this uh, extended stay motel here in Las Vegas and trying to get her and, and uh, extract her from that situation where she was uh, sitting in the corner of my apartment that curled up like a ball crying, uh, telling me about suicide attempts when she was nine years old. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, a lot of this stuff, I did, and the whole thing, you know, you've heard the story about Maddie uh, who was being... Uh, victim of sex uh, of a uh, mental illness and, and drug addiction and sex trafficking and human trafficking mm-hmm. where every time she came into contact with the police this poor girl 85 pounds you know uh, poor, you're 23 years old beautiful young girl but anytime she came into contact with the police they would arrest her instead of trying to help her hmm. and tragically you know her life and you know we got her off the street i found her you know we got her off the street we got her to her father down there in arizona uh and but the, the addictions were so strong and ultimately she wound up uh uh, with a 70-year-old guy she met on uh, AshleyMadison.com, one of these dating sites, and she wound up in the middle of the night out of the gun range uh, oh with this character, you know, and uh, somehow she got a hand, hand on a gun and, and wound up shooting herself in the head accidentally. Oh um, and so, you know, all this stuff is traumatic. All this stuff is uh, takes a toll on you. Um, but when you're in the middle of it, you know, you're saying, boy, I'm helping this person. You know, like Maddie would have died in the streets of uh, Las Vegas. When I picked her up the last time, she was covered in filth, had just been hit by a car, and was out of her mind on, on a meth- methamphetamine. Uh, so she would have been dead there in the streets, you know, but we got her a few months at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, yeah, it, all that stuff is really tough, you know? Yeah. And I, I guess I'm kind of built for it in certain ways. You know, once you've been through so much trauma yourself in your life, you've been exposed to this so much, you can kind of deal with it. Yeah. Uh, but then every now and then something comes along that's, that's, that's exciting and, and encouraging and, and you're getting some results out of it and, and, and you, you feel good, you know, or, or even can stroke my own ego, like my whole involvement with the, the Epstein uh, case and, and the, the lawsuit against Trump and Epstein and, 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 you know, my reporting on Epstein, which I've gotten a lot of recognition for. Yeah, well, international yeah. recognition, Ed. Isn't, mm. isn't, isn't that fair to say? You were covering, it is Ep- fair. You were covering that probably before anyone? I, it, it's fair to say. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Very, I like more recognition for the work I did on that. But yeah, you know, when I, when everything went public, you know, like a flip, a, a switch was flipped, and everybody was talking about. it. I was contacted by the BBC and all over, like you said, all over the world. Yeah, you were on the BBC uh, the day that he died, Epstein. Was it okay? I, I know I yeah. was on the BBC. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was either the day or the day after. I think it was the day that happened, though. Uh, if I remember, what was it? It's like the tenth or the eleventh of August. I always get those two dates mixed up. It was one of, oh, I don't remember. I think it was the eleventh. I remember. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I had no idea though that you were working on that. So, um, I, oh, I, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had yeah. no idea. I, I heard, I heard, I heard uh, on, on air, just like everyone else. That's right. Because yeah. when I was hired on that case, I couldn't talk about it. I signed the, the most uh, tight NDA I've ever signed in my life. And I wasn't allowed to talk about it at all. And it was so fresh. I was still allowed to talk about the case, but not what I was doing on the case or that I was hired to work on the case. And so I would be so frustrated and people would be arguing with me. And I'd want to say, it's my case. (laughs) You tell me what's going on in my case. But everyone, I kept it a secret. I dropped a lot of hints, uh, but I kept it a secret from everybody. And and, uh, everyone found out at the same time. 
Yeah, and then it kind of things kind of did start to make a lot more sense to the audience. They're like, "Oh, right, so that's why you were kind of a bit stressed." Yeah, that was a stressful time for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, strange times, all right. So yeah, and there's there's a, a story I've heard you t- t- just in relation to all this kind of stuff about being motivated and stuff like that. I've heard you say before about how when you know you have something big coming up, whether it's something to do at work or it's like a, something in your life or whatever, you really like to kind of prepare and to train almost like a boxer and really get in shape and stuff and really just so you're 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 hundred percent, you know, and all cylinders are are, are firing. Like, how does how does that kind of work? Like, do you have a, a, a kind of a particular modes or things you do? I know you cycle a lot and swim and things like that. Well, right now uh, I'm really well. Not now, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I tore my bicep. You know, when I moved to Florida a year and a half ago, and uh, so and and now we have twenty thousand people in the hospital down here in Florida with COVID. So you can't even uh, schedule surgery, oh uh, even though I finally got some insurance. But yeah, ever since I was a kid. I was always into boxing, and um, I told a story, too, about how when we would walk by, coming home from school, there was a little boxing gym, and we would go in there, and, you know, at, at first, we would go in there and run around and hit the bags and stuff like that, and then just run away, and uh, one day, the guys who uh, coached at the gym and trained at the gym stopped us and says, hey, listen, you know, if you want to come in here and be serious, you know, we'll train you, we'll teach you, just, but, you know, you can't come in here running around acting stupid, we're not going to put up with that. That was in the Bronx, Ed, was it? So that, that was almost like a community, community outreach, probably, was it? Or to a degree? Oh, no, this, no, no. this was a serious, no, this was an adult boxing okay. gym for adult boxers where they trained, where mafia guys would be in there and stuff and smoking while these guys are training. Okay. And it was right okay, next to okay. a strip club. Did, yeah, did, 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 they, did they have cows hanging on hooks for you? Or? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, hanging on hooks? Cows, you know, for, for boxing, like Rocky style. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, not cows. No, 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 not cows, not cows. <laughs> not cows, but they had, you know, heavy bags and stuff like that and, yeah. and the speed bags and things like and jump ropes, you know, we would grab. But so, yeah, so uh, I was always into that. And as, as a kid, if a, I had a fight coming up, I was going to fight some kid, you know, I was trying to date my girl from that. <laughs> I'm not going to let him do that. Yeah. I would train for that. And, and I always applied that, uh, like you said, to big events in my life. When my daughter was being born, I trained for nine months. And, and again, too, at that time, again, with a lot of prayer and fasting as well, uh, my spiritual training uh, on top of that, uh, when I was facing prison, you know, I, I trained for that um, for, you know, like a year and a half. Um, all these different kinds of things. And, and with the Epstein case, too, when, that, when, I, when they came to me and said, hey, we want to hire you for this case, I said, okay, I'm going to take this seriously. I want my head to be clear. And what I do now as, as an adult is when I'm getting ready for something like that, I'll do the Daniel fast. Uh, which is a fast from the Bible, from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, and uh, where uh, for 21 days, you give up all meat, alcohol, caffeine, sugar, uh, just fruits, vegetable, uh, fruits, uh, vegetables, nuts, beans, lagoons, uh, and, and water, you know, Spartan lifestyle. And you mm. do that for 21 days, it cleans you out, it's, it's, it strengthens you, you feel stronger. And it also, it cleans out all the... Uh, the addictions to alcohol and caffeine and uh, and sugar and sugar is good... sugar is one I've heard you speak about. We were talking about um, you start to get headaches and stuff, and um, it's like people don't kind of I think maybe don't realize how hooked they are on sugar actually. 
Oh, yeah, especially people around the world have no idea how much sugar we eat here in the United States. It's just insane. Mm. Oh, um, yeah, no, see- I've, I've seen that. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been to the States a few times now, and uh, like even the bread tastes like sugar to me. <laughs> it's so Because there's sugar in it. There's sugar in ketchup. There's sugar in everything. And you'll see these guys at the, the, play, you know, at the gas station in the morning because, you know, we have a snack, a uh, little supermarket attached to our gas stations mm. over here. And you'll see a guy go up to that soda machine with a big giant, like a bucket almost. They like his cup is a bucket. <laughs> he fills it to the top with soda. He's drinking soda uh, all morning along. Uh, so yeah, so it, it's sugar is the worst thing you could do to yourself. I think it's even worse than uh, alcohol and coffee and cigarettes and stuff. Well, you know, we're programmed to crave it. Like the, exactly. the, you know, the old caveman brain wants us to uh, get the sugar in because it's energy. You know. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, and I mean, we're on the subject of food, so I did want to ask you um, a little bit about veganism because I know that's something that you do like to talk about. And you, how long have you been a vegan, Ed? I guess it's about six or seven years now. All right, um, okay. And again, I started with the Daniel Fast, and I would just continue the Daniel Fast on uh, longer and longer. And I've done it for, I guess, as long as four and a half, five months. Wow. Uh, just the, yeah, fruits and nuts. And you feel great. I love it. I, I wish I was doing it. I am kind of doing it right now because I got sick uh, about a week ago and I made a lot of soup for myself and I've been eating really good. I, although I'm drinking coffee. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I've started out with the Daniel Fast and then we eased into vegetarianism, me and my daughter, when she was about 13 years old. So it's been a long time. And, um, then we just, uh, it, we were so, once you detox from that meat and that blood and that flesh, uh, it just changes your thinking. It changes your, your way of life. But when you get off of that milk and that cheese and those eggs, man, that's a whole nother. Mm. Uh, it just changes your thinking as well as your, your physical health. And, yeah, uh, I'm, kind, I, I'm, I'm kind of edging towards it. Like I'm not too, like my appetite's a little bit funny. And so I kind of, I kind of have to be a little bit gentle, but I'm, I've, I've, I've like, I'm not eating things like ham really anymore. Like I don't, I very rarely feel like eating beef. I'm, I'm eating more fish now than, um, but generally I'll just, I've cut out like, you know, processed stuff. Like that's usually a bit of a winner. Just get that stuff out of your diet to start with, I think is usually, um, but the, yeah, the idea of cutting, I, re- I cut way back on milk and cheese mm-hmm. as well. I actually found out that um, my cholesterol was a bit high and the nurse was saying to me, she was like, oh, well, because I was like, oh, well, why? Like, and she was like, well, do you lot eat, 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 eat much cheese? And I was like, um, why? Is that a problem? <laughs> I had no idea. She was like, yeah, you should, like, you should only eat like the tiniest piece of cheese. Like, you know, and I was like, oh, OK, so I'll cut that out then. And uh, that alone did make a big difference. But I am kind of, I'm kind of interested to see what might happen if I do kind of go a bit further on it. And like for me, it's the topic of, I mean, the militant veganism thing I'm not really into, but I'm really into sustainability. So, and I have a lot of respect for people who are vegan because I don't think it's everybody that, well, maybe we are all able to do it, but we're not all able to get there. And um, so, yeah, from the, from, from the standpoint of, um, sustainability and anti-exploitation i think it's actually like a really good thing i think it's a little bit unfortunate actually that the the, the conversation has kind of been, been been kind of skewed a little bit away from the sustainability so true because uh, the, the the beef industry is unsustainable you know as the rest of the world wants to try and uh, keep up with our consumption of beef it's just impossible yeah but when you think about it right just stop and think man how did this come about um around the world, uh, that uh, we drink so much milk and cheese and beef, 
that there has to be a dairy farm within a day's drive between the dairy farm and the supermarket in every little town, every little... How is that possible that somehow there's this demand for this milk that, and it's just so available everywhere that because it's coming out of cows, you got to have a cow nearby. Mm. <laughs> you got to yeah. feed that cow. You know, you got you, know, you got to bathe that cow. You got to water that cow. You got to raise that cow. You got to inseminate that. It's a big, big, big operation. Yeah. And I can only think it's part of the uh, the organized control of society. It's just one of those things that's used to keep us lazy and fat and uh, and uh, uh, unclear headed, uh, as you would be if you could just get away from all that blood and flesh and, and yeah. yuck milk and all this yeah. animal product. Yeah, well, um, it's kind of interesting. It's something I need to read up on it a little bit more, but I was chatting to someone about it and they brought up the point that in Ireland, um, and Chris, you might be able to help me out with this, is um, yes. um, what, what was the deal with the tenant farmers and things like that, where um, when they wanted to move people off the land ah. for cattle, basically, um, we, we were given these like tiny living spaces to live in yeah. and there was a, we were basically before that happened we were really more so more of an agricultural uh nation and then we moved over to the to the to the to the, the industrial stuff. yeah the industrial side of it so what was that chris what was the story with that like the, when, when um you see originally tenant farmers gave up a percentage of their crop as rent mm because money wasn't easily accessible for them. Like everything was on barter. Money was for rich people. Poor people traded in what they had for what they wanted. And then the, the landlords couldn't just kick them off. So what they said was, we only accept money now. We're not accepting crops. And the exchange rates were so bad that instead of giving up like 10%, they were giving up 60%. And it was untenable for them to live like that. So they migrated towards cities where they could get, you know, manufacturing jobs and things and live in like 17 people to a room kind of situations and things in the yeah, tenements. So there is a hit, like it's a history of mm. exploitation and basically yeah. uh, someone in, in from a, from a, from a place of privilege, basically um, just holding on to that and hoarding what they have and yeah. with, 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 with total disregard for their, for their, for their brothers and sisters. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So now you're saying this is in Ireland. This was this. That's the history in Ireland. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That was. So you happened. guys are from Ireland. I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we didn't say top of the morning. So, I mean, well, that would have been the first clue. <laughs> or anything about lucky charms, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a few on the wall here. All right. Yeah. A few yeah. lucky charms. Uh, we're I think we're talking about the cereal now. Top of the morning, full Irish breakfast. No, well, that's all Americans know about uh, the yeah. rest of the world. You know, we hey, know well, not anymore now with Biden in office. Yeah, it's like our, oh. it's now it's the new the new thing to to say how great it is to be Irish over there. Is it? That's oh, no, of, that's been going on for a long time. John no, I know, but Biden is kind of milking it now. It seems. A bit, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, like the the people still talk about JFK's visit to Ireland back in the day um like in Wexford there's the JFK Memorial Arboretum and there's the JFK Park and you know um the local pubs where he visited his family from you know whatever have all have posters and pictures of JFK up so Ed, what were, what were, what were you we touched on um your faith there and I know you're like a deeply faithful guy and um yeah. 
something I love to actually hear you speak about because like I'm not I'm not really a religious guy but I'm I, 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 I'm, I'm interested in religion and spirituality and um, just because I'm not necessarily religious doesn't mean I don't pray because I do pray and um, I think that's actually very it's a good thing to do um, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know how, has, what, what, what kind of influence has that had on your work actually and how does that fit together and, and, and fit, fit with the whole thing? Like, is there, has, there been many, has there been many things you can point to where you kind of go, yeah, my faith really had an impact on this or where you felt, I don't know. I know, I know you've often he heard you speak about how you feel kind of supported by it. Yeah. I, I, I would say that the main thing is... Um, uh, it really does um, diminish your, your fear, you know, of, of uh, things on earth. Um, like, what can they really do to you? You know, you know everyone's going to die sooner or later, right? And, uh, and I'm confident that, uh, you know, it, according to the Bible, absent with the body, present with the Father. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, I, I believe uh, my salvation is, uh, is secure. Um, so there's that. Um, also, too, there's also the whole thing of just doing the right thing as opposed to doing the wrong thing. Because when, when you're in the PI business, a lot of people come to you and try and get you to commit crimes for them or try to lure you into getting involved in all kinds of criminal activity and stuff. And to, so just have that baseline where you, know, you can say, well, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to do that for you mm -hmm. um, based on your own personal morals and uh, convictions. Uh, so And... Uh, also, too, uh, just kind of the supernatural aspect to it, you know, like um, looking for little signs and clues and synchronicity and God's blessings in your life and, uh, and relying on that. And uh, it kind of gives you that confidence that, hey, you're on the right path, you're doing the right thing. Because, you know, they say that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. And I, I believe that. And if you're on the right track, you're doing the right thing. Your steps will be ordered. You'll be walking in the right direction. And um, all the good things planned out for you will, will be there for you. Yeah, I could. I, I would tend to agree with that. Actually, um, yeah. I mean, it might not always feel like that, but definitely, I do feel that when you kind of, if you're out there doing good works, you f you start to see traction big time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, big time. So I suppose we could talk a little bit about um, your journey, then, if you don't mind that. From from what from like, well, actually, I should ask like, what 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 two things I'm going to ask is what how what got you interested in radio and what got you. Uh, interested in the PI business. Suppose we could start with the PI uh, side. I actually have a question there. Like, how many, I... trench, how many trench coats and fedoras do you need, really? Like, you know. you know what, man? Let me tell you something. If I could pull off a fedora, I would wear it. I, I, I cannot wear hats for some reason. I would love to wear a cowboy hat when I first moved to Nevada. I, I, you know, I would try on these damn cowboy hats. I look like an idiot with my ears sticking out. Same thing with a fedora. I can't pull off a fedora or a cowboy hat. I just don't have the right head for it. I wish I could. I, I actually have the same problem. I can't wear hats. I, I can see that. I, I bet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, like everyone I know who used to wear hats all the time has gone bald. So, I mean, maybe I looked out there. That's a, that's a good point too, yeah. Hmm. Well, I tell you, PI work. Okay. Um, I guess um, <sighs> technically... The way I got involved in PI work is that I had access to phone company information. I had a friend who worked at the phone company uh, back in the 70s. And um, if I would give him an unlisted phone number, he could come back to me with a printout uh, from the phone company of the guy's name, address, his work phone number, sometimes his social security number, his, um, a lot of, even sometimes his bank account number you can get at the top of that uh, phone company uh, report. 
Uh, but also, too, you can get a copy of all his long-distance calls and also, too, the, the, the local usage calls, which calls a list of every phone call the guy made um, outside of his telephone exchange, uh, the, the first three digits of the, of the phone number. Um, so that was incredibly valuable information. And I, I recognized that right away. And so, so you, were right, you were right at the beginning of all of that, really, in some ways, like way before the internet. Um, and it was kind of, there hadn't been a lot of precedent set, I suppose, uh, legally. Oh, no, yeah. Oh, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, you didn't have to worry about those kind of, uh, it was wide open back in those days. As a matter of fact, you could even get credit reports back in those days legally, as long as you were contemplating litigation against somebody. You could run their credit report without their permission. Um, so, but but the, that phone company information, like you said, was invaluable. And uh, I had already met uh, with a private investigator because my attorney had sent me to meet with this PI for some help running plates and things I needed to um, satisfy my, my personal business matters. And as soon as I walked into his office, uh, it was this old guy who was in Brooklyn, in his little office in Brooklyn, and he had this little pencil mustache, you know, this old Italian guy. And he's wearing a shoulder holster and he had a shotgun propped up in the corner. And uh, all these uh, certificates and diplomas covered his entire wall everywhere. Handwriting expert, fingerprint expert, ballistics expert, all this kind of stuff. And I says, whoa. I says, man, I would love to have an office like this one day. <laughs> this is right up my alley. I would love this. And he turned out to be a, an organized crime uh, investigator working for the defense for organized crime cases. And uh, so when I told him that I can get this telephone company information, uh, he let me work out of his office to sell this information to his clients. And we were making a fortune there. And that's how I got to meet all the big lawyers and all the big investigators and all the big collection agencies and bounty hunters in New York City at a very young age. Um, and uh, that's how I got my start with that. And uh, then it was just, uh, and you're right, this is before the internet, before computers. And uh, so everything was in your Rolodex. You would make contacts. You'd meet somebody who worked at the DMV, you know, and you'd say, hey, man, you know, can you get me this information? I can sell it for you. And so you'd make all these contacts out there in the street. And your Rolodex was everything you had. And so for a young guy, you know, like guys my age, you know, they got a whole lifetime of connections, this kind of stuff like that. But for a guy 18, 19 years old to be making those kind of connections was a, just a, your whole life ahead of you was just set there for you. Because I still talk to some of those people that uh, I was dealing with back when I was 18, 19 years old. And it was my experience too, like you said, with the yippies and uh, counter-government uh, agitators and activists. And our exposure to like COINTELPRO and FBI surveillance, I was just used to all this. I was used to, I had a, was a savvy guy when it came to all this stuff. It didn't, didn't intimidate me. To, I wasn't afraid of it. Uh, so I was uh, able to just uh, uh, make my way through this, this world of intrigue and, uh, and skullduggery, you know, and uh, all that kind of stuff. I was just made for it, you know. And uh, it got to, to the point where I just had so much experience. That uh, it came to the point where people would come to me with their problems and due to my life's experience, I could solve their problems for them, which is what I do now. People come to me with their problems, whatever it is, blackmail, extortion, whatever their problem they have, criminal case, uh, infidelity, um, some kind of litigation, whatever it is. I just have enough experience in life that I can help them with their problems. Kind of a gun for hire. Opposition, I'm getting into a lot now of opposition research and political cases too. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, which is a whole… Yeah, and, and that's something that uh, I wish I had. Uh, I've been sick, you know. I turned down a bunch of jobs the past couple of months. I've been sick, so that's how I got into the whole PI stuff, you know. Um, just I was just a natural fit for it. I was just groomed for it uh, my whole life. Now the radio show stuff. Now that's fascinating because I guess it was around the time 
uh, with the Tiger Woods case. I, I got a lot of media exposure for Tiger Woods. And I did all the cell phone forensics of the Tiger Woods mistresses to prove who was a mistress and who wasn't so that they could sell their stories to the media. So I, I became in, in contact with a lot of tabloids uh, who were contacting me off the record because back then no one was doing cell phone forensics. I was at the birth of it. And uh, so they would contact me. Hey, can you get this from a phone? Can you do that? And I would say, don't advise them for free. I was giving all this advice for free. And I started doing media interviews on the radio and some TV stuff. I was on Nightline in 2020, uh, Dr. Drew's Life Changes, a lot of stuff like that. And um, so I said, boy, this is so easy. It's so easy <laughs> to, to do these radio interviews. I says, I should do a, write a book. I'll write a book. And uh, then I'll just do these interviews and I'll make a living selling a book. I'll just, I can laugh and make jokes on the radio. It'll be so much fun. Uh, little did I know. And uh, so I had written a book once before, uh, back in the days of the first digital uh, uh, download books on the internet, like in the late 90s about the PI work and stuff like that. And it was very, very popular. I sold a lot of copies of it. So I went and I took that and I updated it uh, with some personal stuff. And I wrote the book, How to Become a Successful Private Investigator. Yeah, I'm going to stick and, that uh, in the show notes, Ed, so people can find that. It's on Amazon, actually, if anybody want to find, wants to find it. It's a great book. I have a copy here. It's brilliant. Yeah, check out the reviews, man. It, 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 people really appreciate that book because most PI books, all they talk about is surveillance. And, and my stuff gets into the real nitty gritty of uh, uh, databases and, uh, and, and real stuff, how to do background checks, all that kind of stuff. Um, the important stuff that people need to know yeah. um, that they really don't teach anywhere. You just got to work for somebody to learn that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so what happened was I wrote the book and I had done a bunch of interviews, like we were talking off the air, Revolution Radio, freedomflips.com, this wacky conspiracy theory, UFO, end of the world radio station. And I had done a few interviews over there, and they came to me and they said, hey, uh, you know, why don't you do a show? Because I would do those roundtables and stuff, I'd call in. And uh, this one host would egg me on every uh, Saturday night and start talking about me, and then I'd have to call in to <laughs> kind of yell at him, <laughs> you know? And... Uh, I'd come straight from taking my daughter to basketball practice, and I'd come home. I'd have a couple of beers. This guy'd be talking about me. I'd have to call up and scream at him. <laughs> but, anyway, but anyway, so they, they said, "Why don't you?" They offered you a job then, so you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I wouldn't be screaming into their phone all the time. So they put me on a Thursday mornings, and the first show I did was West Memphis Three, and it got like forty thousand hits. We had all these people. The chat room was packed. And they had never seen this before. So they gave me a show. I think it was uh, Friday nights. They gave me a show Friday nights and, and uh, just took over. But the station was so crazy that I knew right away. I says, you know what, man? This ain't going to last. This guy's nuts. Uh, the guy that ran the station, this alcoholic uh, guy, and uh, who, who passed away since then. Hmm. And it seemed there was a lot of, too, was a lot of COINTELPRO stuff going on there, too. A lot of... Uh, uh, double agents and people with disinformation, all kind of shenanigans. A lot of bizarre kind of conversation go on, like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now, like we said before, it's just crazy now. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I started um, simulcasting the show. I started trying to get it on as much other platforms as I could because I knew that my run there would be short. I knew it wouldn't last a year. Uh, so I got on uh, Spreaker first, Spreaker.com, and then different internet stations. And then iHeartRadio was the big break. When I got on iHeart and iTunes, that's when things really just blew up and took off right away. I had like 20,000 followers on, on Spreaker like in the first year. Mm -hmm. So that's when things really blew up. And then I started checking out the AM, FM stations. And uh, that's where the, the majority of the audience is now. There's uh, people driving in their cars 
uh, that aren't searching out these topics. You know, they're not Googling, you know, these phrases and finding something on the internet. They're just driving along and they hear what I'm talking about or the guest. And uh, they say, wow, this is great. This is, you know, and they get hooked right away and they join the Patreon and they sign up to Spreaker. That's oh, great because I think uh, there is, it's, 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 I mean, there's, 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 there's other guys out there doing similar stuff, but I, rem- I specifically remember people saying to you live on the air, it's like nobody else is doing anything like this, a PI with a radio show. Like it was a big yeah. deal. Like it still is a big deal. Well, well, also, too, you got to remember back then, you know, 13, uh, seven years ago, um, no one was doing uh, the combination of conspiracy theory and true crime. That was brand new. No one was, no one even thought of doing that. Like when I started doing true crime shows on top of my conspiracy shows, people were like, whoa, what is this? Mm. And, and no one was talking. I did the first radio show about Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. No one had talked about Epstein before I did on the radio. And uh, when I did, um, uh, I couldn't even find a guest who, who knew anything about it. And I was lucky to find Robert Morrow, uh, who was a, a ghostwriter for Roger Stone and uh, wrote a book about the Clintons. And so he was familiar with it. I brought him on and he talked about it. Uh, but even then, I did the second hour all by myself, just talking about what I knew about Epstein at the time. No one knew the name Jeffrey Epstein back in those days. Yeah. There's some other stuff, kind of current stuff now at the moment as well. Um, that's been in the news a bit. Uh, about with the laptop and Hunter Biden. What's... So there's any developments on that at all, or is it kind of open the air a little bit still, I think, is it? It's a long story. The whole Hunter Biden laptop story is a long, long story. I've told it a couple of times. And I think it's the greatest story out there. Yeah, um, if, anyone, if anybody <laughs> wants to check it out, Ed's got loads of archives over on Spreaker, or again, his Patreon is like a great place to go and check out his stuff. Mountains yeah, of stuff, I, guys. Yeah, I know. I got a ton of stuff on Patreon. I a ton of stuff for free on Patreon, too. A lot of stuff, FBI documents, all kinds of stuff. Um, the stuff about the McMartin preschool uh, documents, they have all that on there. Uh, but with Hunter Biden's laptop, I had a little bit of involvement in that. Uh, it's a long story, uh, but uh, I was involved in some litigation against Dr. Keith Abloh, who was a Fox News contributor. And uh, he was abusive to my client, and we had a lawsuit against him. And uh, the lawsuit kind of fell apart because we had some problems, but uh, I managed to get his license revoked. Uh, he was a licensed psychologist, psychiatrist, uh, who had uh, the ability to write prescriptions. And he was very abusive to some of his patients. And it was, uh, it was declared that he was an immediate risk to the public, so they pulled his license. So now, a lot of people don't know, but Hunter Biden went to live with this guy, lived with him for three months. And this is all exclusive to my show. This you know, came out on my show exclusively. But uh, Hunter Biden went to live with him for three months and left behind, whatever for reason he left. And uh, uh, Abloh retained his laptop uh, some diaries, some uh, cell phones, and some uh, di- uh, notebooks and things like that. So what happened was, there's this fellow named uh, Bradley Birkenfeld, and you could find an interview with Bradley Birkenfeld where he talks about this with me exclusively. And Bradley Birkenfeld was having a book signing party. He had written a book about, he was a, 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 a Swiss bank account whistleblower, and he wrote a book called Lucifer's Banker. So I had heard this story about how uh, Birkenfeld and Bo Deedle, who was a private investigator from New York City, who uh, was a very heavily politically connected with the Republican Party, uh, Bo Deedle in New York City. I've known him since I was like 19, 20 years old. Um, he and uh, Bo Deedle and Birkenfeld went to Dr. Keith Abloh's home because uh, they heard that he had Hunter Biden's laptop. So I started looking into this, 
And I invite Birkenfeld on my show. I says, hey, Mr. Birkenfeld, I want to talk to you about your great book about Lucifer's Banker. (laughs) (laughs) But when I get him on, right away, I says, hey, man, tell me about this laptop. I hear you were involved in this laptop. So he just starts spilling the beans, man. And I'm sitting here like with a big smile on my face. And he tells me exclusively, he didn't even talk about to support anybody in the world. He says, yeah, we had a book signing party. And uh, Rudy Giuliani was there, and Bernie Carrick was there, and John Kirikawa, the CIA whistleblower, he was there, and Bo Deedle was there, and uh, Dr. Keith Ablo's brother was there. And he tells us, these are all heavy drinkers, all these guys, too, by the way. I used to drink with Bo Deedle every night at <laughs> the okay. in, in Manhattan. Uh, but what do you call it? So he says, yeah, uh, Keith Abbott's brother was there and they want to, to sell, they want to monetize Hunter Biden's laptop. They want $2 million for it. And I says, really? So then just stop and think. Now, Keith Abbott put the figure $2 million on his laptop. So we know there's gold on the laptop. Mm-hmm. We know there's a lot more gold on that laptop than we've seen. Okay. So what happens is, it kind of, um, it kind of, the story was really hot in the media and then it just kind of fell away, it seems. Oh, it was being uh, uh, suppressed. It, it yeah. still is suppressed. Yeah. It just came out the other day that uh, Biden, uh, Hunter Biden uh, was uh, asking the Libyan government for $2 million to help release their uh, frozen assets. You know, have, you, have you heard about that before? That's in the news. And, yeah. and, and no one's talking about it. But, yeah. the, but the bottom line with the chain of custody on his laptop. See, what happened was, too, is these guys had, you know, the whole story about how that guy... Um, the computer repairman in Delaware somehow got a hold of this laptop. Yeah, that's what we heard anyway, I think. Isn't right, it? Yeah. right. He claims that Hunter Biden dropped it over there by mistake and forgot about it. So there was a, a news conference. A bunch of reporters got into his uh, um, computer store there, and they drilled him with questions. And he's stuttering, and he can't, you know, he's all, all over the place, no comment. He can't, you know, whenever it comes to the chain of custody of his laptop, it's no comment. So one of the guys that was there sent it to me. He sent me a raw recording of this, unedited. And he goes, hey, Ed, man, he says, I can't publish this, but you can. Just don't tell him where you got it. <laughs> so, so I put it up in my Patreon. Unedited, raw. You got to hear this thing. They're yelling at this guy. Four, four wow, people I didn't know that was up there, actually. Um, it's up there for free. Oh, okay. Patreon. Yeah. Wow. As, as well as my interview, too, with my client who was uh, abused by Dr. Keith Abel. But anyway, so I, I heard that thing, and I knew something fishy was going on. I get Birkenfeld on the show and he tells me about this whole story about how Abel wants to monetize the Apple. He wants the uh, $2 million for this laptop. So what turns out is good old Bo goes down there with uh, Birkenfeld to Keith Abel's house and they negotiate for this laptop. Negotiations fall through. The next day, there's a knock on the door. Mr. Ab- Dr. Abel, open up. <laughs> and they seize the laptop, the DEA. Raids Dr. Ablo's home, his office, a, a local uh, pharmacy too as well, and they seize the laptop. And then, uh, what's his name? Bo Deedle. Now, I mean, a, uh, uh, Hunter Biden was able to get the laptop back through his attorneys. But according to Mr. Birkenfeld, it would be so easy to copy everything on that laptop and put it on another laptop <laughs> and then have yeah. that laptop wind up in, the, in some uh, computer repair store. It would be so easy for that to happen. So I said to him, I says, well, you know, it, wouldn't it be easier for someone like Giuliani to get to the DA to go down there and raid? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it couldn't be him. <laughs> it couldn't be him. But obviously that's what happened, man. Uh, Bo and Giuliani and Kirk and those guys got a friendly judge. Well, Giuliani's Just, all over the news recently, wasn't he as well? Well, yeah, a good old, 
He's always after something good old Rudy, uh, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I had um back in the, the early days when I was like 19, 20 years old and I was working for that PI back in the in New York, um, we worked all those big organized crime cases that Rudy was prosecuting. And uh, a lot of people don't know that, that the his assistant DA was Michael Chertoff, the head of Homeland Security, uh, years later. And so Rudy knew me back in those guys. I ran into him years later when he was running for mayor and he remembered me from those cases. So uh, I'm sure he would remember me to this day. I'd say at this point, he probably, <laughs> probably does, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there was another incident. I could tell you guys a quick story, too. Please. Um, uh, on the night of the, it was a, um, I think it was October 19th, uh, the day of the debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump that was on the Intrepid Museum. The Intrepid Museum is owned by a guy named Fisher who runs the Fisher House Foundation which is an organization that gives money to soldiers and 9-11 victims, a real estate millionaire and a billionaire probably in New York City. As a matter of fact, he owns uh, the, uh, one of the shuttles. He bought one of the shuttles too and, and, and had it uh, towed down uh, uh, New York Harbor to make like a museum out of that. My friends ran the whole operation to my friends from NYP and Harbor Aviation ran the uh, the towing of that boat. Uh, but at that Intrepid Museum debate day, uh, that w- this was the day when uh, Trump brought in all the press into this room and they panned around the room. And who's sitting there? Paula Jones, Kathleen Willey, uh, Juanita Broderick, and all these women who had been raped by Bill Clinton. And I've known all those women. I've had them all on the show. I've known yeah. uh, Paula Jones since before I had a radio show because we had the same agent for a while. Right. So I, everyone in that room knew me, including Keith Schiller, including Rudy Giuliani. So somehow, some way, I get a phone call <laughs> that day uh, from someone who had just gotten off the phone with Roger Stone. And I says, hey, Ed, we need your help. We want you to get us contact information for Kathy O'Brien. Remember Kathy O'Brien? Yeah. Right. The transformation uh, in America, that whole conspiracy theory with Kathy O'Brien. Yeah. And they want her phone number because they want to bring her down there to that room, too, and put her on TV. Kathy O'Brien, they want to put on there. So I says, okay, man. I says, uh, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> I says, I'll give you Kathy O'Brien's contact information. I says, but listen, I'll give you guys all the shows I've done about the Clintons. I'll give you all my stuff. I'll send it to you right now. So, uh, by the way, the guy uh, rambles out to me, too. He says, because um, this was right after the Access Hollywood tape came out. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you believe this Access Hollywood thing? It says, we think it's Kellyanne Conway who released that tape because she's effing CIA. Oh my God. <laughs> this is what's going on at, at the Trump camp debate. You know, an hour why why am I not surprised, though? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> chaos, chaos going on over there. So that, so that was kind of like the Trump campaign contacted me for uh, uh, information about Kathy O'Brien on the day of the debate. And uh, so then I sent over all my opposition research to uh, about the Clintons. And I'm sitting there about two weeks later, and I, I'm watching a Trump speech, and he goes right down the line. He's talking about every title <laughs> of my show about the Clintons, the Clintons in Haiti, the Clintons over here, Clinton over there, all my stuff, uh, talk about, which I'm sure that uh, Giuliani would have recognized my name. But if that got on his desk, uh, he would have recognized my name for sure. Oh, yeah, sure. He's probably a, he's probably a listener anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, uh, from from what I hear nowadays, good old Rudy is uh, 
you know, and more interested <laughs> at, at the bottom of his glass uh, than anything else these days. But, uh, yeah, like a lot right. of them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, Ed, we're going to wrap it up fairly shortly, but is there anything else you want to you want to get into or mention or anything like that? The only thing I will tell you, uh, besides the Hunter Biden laptop, which is a, a percolating story, is the whole thing with Matt Gates, who's a Florida frat boy, House of Representatives, uh, who's on Trump's shortlist of, uh, and with Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Bobin, one of these uh, extreme uh, Twitter guys out there. And uh, behind the scenes, he's under investigation for uh, trafficking in young women and providing illegal driver's licenses to young girls so that they could buy alcohol. Uh, all that's out in the news and public. But uh, behind the scenes, there is a major, major story about to break on him, uh, just as big as Epstein, and uh, with the, all kinds of stuff, man, that I can't talk about yet. It's not my story, it's a thing. All but right. the guy's working on his story. It's going to come out in Mother Jones first. And the guy's working on his story. I've done excellent work. They tried to hire me to help Matt with some stuff. I just I dropped the ball. I didn't have time. I was moving. I was dropping my kid off at college. Uh, so I dropped the ball on that. But uh, still, I'm aware of everything going on. And I'm going to get the first exclusive radio interview after it hits the, the press. But keep your eye on that. Matt wow. Gates. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll big. definitely be keeping an eye out for that. Yeah, big. Okay, well, Ed, I, I, I hate it. We're... Just hit, oh, we're on we hit the we hit the mark to f- f- fifty four. Well, we're fifty six now, but we've just about hit the fifty four fifty there. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Ed, I'm, it was an absolute honour and a pleasure to have you on here today, and you're very welcome to come back anytime. I find your work hugely, hugely inspiring, and your life as well. I think is is um, also very interesting, and we can all kind of learn a lot from um, what you've done with it. And I'd like, yeah, again, like I said, thanks. Well, Shane, it's been very nice to meet you. I mean, uh, Chris, it's been very nice to meet you, Chris. Yeah, it's been a and, pleasure. And it really has been, man. Thank you very much. Uh, and Shane, God bless you, man. Uh, I can't thank you enough for all you've done for me uh, over the years. And it's been an honor to, to meet you and, and be on your show here. And dude, anytime you want me to come back, I'll come back. Thanks, Ed. You're very welcome anytime. And I'll, I'll be in touch. And again, yeah, if you need anything, just give us a shout, okay? Yeah, you we'll talk it, to you again thank then. You. Bye, bye. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, Ed. Keep well. I hope you, get, I hope you feel better soon, too. Hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, God bless. Well, Chris, there you go. Hmm? Here's Ed. Great yeah, Ed guy. seems pretty great, all right. Yeah, and we're flash uh, page. Hey, Ed, can you go on mute? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, oh, sorry. Thanks. Like we said, Patreon, um, Opperman. Patreon.com forward slash Opperman Report. And again, anybody into true crime and you haven't heard of this yet, you got to go and check it out big time. Like, I've been listening and I'm not into true crime and it's pretty good. Yeah. Very, like, very I, inspiring. Not, maybe not everybody's cup of tea. No. It is a bit heavy. Some of it's heavy. It's, the subject matter is heavy. It, it, do, it does go. But it's real life. Sometimes. It's real yeah. life, though, is the point, you know? Mm. So from that respect it is it is really engaging and you will kind of lose time to it because you forget how long you're listening like yeah no it's know? great it's great and yeah and we were chatting there a bit i've helped that out a bit over the years and um time very well spent i was um very happy to have put my time into it because mm. like we were saying he's helped so many people he really has and he's still out there doing it and we wish him the very best of luck and we're here to support him if he needs anything so mm. Chris, we've we've that was a good uh, good day's work for today. Yeah. yeah, again, there's the Patreon guys. He's got three things you can check out. His Patreon, his Spreaker.com, and Opperman Report 
Spreaker.com if you want to learn more about them. Spreaker is full of lots and lots of free shows you can check out. And Patreon also has free shows and some exclusive stuff. Um, you heard them mention just some of the things, like seriously high-profile high stuff. So if you have any interest in that, I highly, yeah. highly, highly recommend you go and check it out. And I don't mean to be patronising, but you should, you know, patron someone anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's good to support people, isn't it, Chris? Ah, That's yeah. What we like to do here is to kind of support people. And as, as you said, Chris, during the show, it is really about trying to help each other, help us out. There it is up yeah. on the screen right there, freeze. So I shall just, we're about to hit the, the bumper. Okay, guys. Keep well. We'll be back with lots of interesting stuff. That was a bit of culture for you today. We've got music coming up. We've got art coming up. We've got wellness coming up. Stay tuned. We'll be back soon. Slanga for the character. Slanga live. <laughs>